My stomach hurts. We ate too much ice cream cake. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I had a very large piece. I blame Josh for cutting me a large piece. I have not eaten dinner. I got election anxiety. Uh, My I stomach was, hurts. I was shaking today. <laughs> I was in the car driving over here just shaking. I ate sheets twice today. Ooh, That's where special day. Not me. I ate some noodles, macaroni noodles covered in Alfredo sauce and a yogurt. Nah. You may be asking why. Special wisdom teeth diet. Yes. I. If you follow me on the social, you know that my wisdom teeth got taken out. And, you know, not bad recovery. So let's talk about how you hallucinated during yes. your wisdom tooth surgery so i should have screenshot the text you sent me <laughs> because they made zero sense really i thought uh, it made perfect sense <laughs> let me scroll back and see if i can find them while you, while you talk about okay. your hallucination so as i mentioned before i got my wisdom teeth out a little late in the game i will admit but that's because they were all grown in except for one but i thought i was going to get away with it and actually not have to remove them. And then they started hurting. You would have gotten away f- with it if it wasn't for that, <laughs> that meddling tooth. <laughs> it wasn't for the meddling GD tooth. No, exactly. So I decided not to go under anesthesia. That was a terrible idea. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, Leah. Because I'd rather hallucinate than sleep. <laughs> and literally, the worst part of it, though, did you have to get like eight shots? No, I went under because I'm a sane human being. Those shots were the most painful thing I think I've ever experienced because they do eight shots. So two for each, you know, corner of your mouth. And one of them scared me so much by how much pain it was. Like, because it shot straight into the nerve right through my mouth, like right around my mouth and just went everywhere and it sucked. But I went on nitro, which is known as laughing gas, which is notorious for making you... Uh, <laughs> I found it. Everyone, <laughs> quiet. Um, but anyway, I went on laughing gas. Notorious for making you hallucinate. And Leah, what is the text I sent to you? It said, "Dude, I hallucinated a guitar solo. It's gonna be a great cold open." And then you texted me an ad where you screenshot at the T Public TV <laughs> T-shirt. About this T Public T-shirt. <laughs> it is. Let me describe this T-shirt to you. It is Kermit the Frog wearing a wizard hat. <laughs> And he's holding a pistol and he says, behold, the most powerful spell of all. Are you ready to meet God? And then he said, I don't know why, but this is funny to me. But he actually, your exact text is IDK, but this is funny to my still little high self. That's cute. And I said, what the hell? And you just <laughs> replied with, did you need to take Tylenol and ibuprofen? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. But... So anyway, as Leah alluded to, (laughs) so I had a plan because I knew I wasn't going to be going under because it was a 30 minute surgery. I can bear a lot of things for 30 minutes. And so I brought headphones. I was going to listen to classical music. And my plan was like 90% good because the other 10% that I didn't think about was the fact that I had over ear headphones, noise canceling. Well, guess what gets amplified when you do that? Drill sounds on your teeth. Exactly. And the crunching of bone. So this is why I went under. It's fine. Like, honestly, I was too high to really care. Like, I remember having a conversation with myself. I was like, 
is he cutting out a piece of my jaw? No, it doesn't fucking matter. You're high. Oh, like I remember, like I was having like full this, conversations. This makes me want to have oral surgery just to have the laughing gas, dude. The, without the oral surgery. So, have you ever had nitro? No, because I've had it twice. There's just this moment where it hits you, and you can't help but force a smile and start giggling. <laughs> and I remember when it hit. <laughs> like I just said, this curl up, and I tried to stop it. I was like, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> and I started laughing and the nurse was there and she goes, you okay? And I was like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Those nurses have to be the most entertained nurses of all. Oh, completely. Because they get the laughing gas people, but they also get the people who get knocked out. Like, yeah, I got knocked out. And apparently when I came to my nurse had like a wrist brace on for her carpal tunnel and I kept laughing at and pointing at her wrist. <laughs> <laughs> like they have to stay entertained. Oh, I. 100%. And I know for a fact I was talking through the whole entire thing. <laughs> You're like, huh, huh, huh. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, because I'm already an imaginative person. So imagine me on a drug like, you know, concoction. So it's just like <laughs> unicorns and shit, maximum overdrive. What was this guitar solo? So about? here's what happened I'm listening to Claude Debussy's Claude de Moonlight Sonata. And that's when the drill starts. He starts on my partially impacted, which just means it's kind of there, still kind of under the gum. And I just hear, it's just monotone. It's wah, wah, wah. But my head literally took that and turned it into this like fiery guitar solo on stage. And then when the tooth was coming out, my brain imagined it as a groupie jumping up on stage. <laughs> And I don't know if that was just my like mind trying to like take me away from the situation in combination with the laughing gas. Like, I don't know if I was mother birding myself, maybe in a way, but that's that's what I hallucinated. It that's... was very vivid, though. It was incredibly vivid. Like I can it was like an almost an Eddie Van Halen um, wow, spiral wow, guitar. Wow. It was the ghost of Eddie speaking to you. <laughs> so there you go. So I do recommend the nitro despite the shots. If you are an imaginary person, you feel like, and you don't do drugs and you rather just hallucinate for a little bit and let loose. Mm -mm. Regardless of which choice you choose, zero 10 recommendations on the post. If you have three that have not come in like I did, Highly recommend going under and not remembering any of it. Oh, you had three. See, that's another reason why I chose to just deal with it. Yeah. Because I had two that come in fully and I already uh -uh. had one of them pulled. So oh. I already experienced it. So I was like, easy peasy. Takes nope. two seconds. I'll live. I had a bone shelf over my oh, teeth that, that they were just growing up against and couldn't get out. It was great. Oh, yeah. I would have gone under if that was the case. But like this one was I kind of not that I'm like some kind of dentist here but i looked at it i'm like that doesn't look bad <laughs> it's probably it's probably it's probably fine it won't be hard to get out but you know like you ask those questions to a surgeon and they're like they'll never give you an answer because they don't want to get sued yep. <laughs> if, if they're wrong but like, they'll make you sign the paperwork that says you may die while you're under yeah anyway, anyway this is not a dental podcast no it is not that'd be interesting probably exists i'm leah i'm bethann and this is she will rock you 
Where are they getting a dump in a CPS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rack You. We can't say the new intro. The da-da-da. The da-da-da is dead, folks. I was going to say. Da-da-da is dead. Did you notice our new intro? You like it? So we... It's nice and shiny. I guess we can start talking about this. This is our 30th episode. Yes. I was going to mention that at the top of the show notes here. We had to make it special. We we decided 30 was a good time to start a new phase of having a professional sounding opening because we got plans for... The next 30 episodes or however long we do this. We got big plans. We got big plans for November specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be listening to this on... It's come out Friday? This Friday? No, next Friday, isn't it? This is the bye week for... Okay, Aussie. so this will come out on Friday the 13th. Oh, good. And before we even release that, this Saturday we're recording two interviews. We won't tell mm-hmm. you who they are yet gonna have a live interview next wednesday that we're gonna announce in a couple of days and then the following wednesday the 18th we also have another interview so that is four interviews in the month of november we're really excited i'm excited about all of them yes they're all gonna be great they're all gonna be fantastic two of them are international uh mm-hmm. so we're scheduling those we love you guys so much that we are sacrificing our entire Saturday morning to do back-to-back interviews in Europe. Tis the life. Fuck time zones, because scheduling that gave me a headache. Yeah. But we figured it out. Other show notes? I guess, I mean, we kind of talked about at the beginning of the podcast, but I, we, how do I want to put this? If we seem distracted in yeah. this recording... It is currently November 4th at 6.26 p.m. And there are one, two, three, four, five states that have not declared who the, the, they're getting giving their votes to. So Politics is pretty important to Leah and I, but we do keep this podcast pretty, you know, whatever you believe, cool. But yeah, we're a little nervous. <laughs> Our personal lives are a little bit nervous right now. So one tab has the show notes and one tab has the live New York Times feed of the election. It's great. So hopefully by the time you listen to this, I'm assuming you'll know the results. We'll, I really hope we know we'll, by uh, next Friday. We'll see after I'm sure all the lawsuits get through. Yes. God. Uh, right. That's enough. What are you going to do? Enough politics. Yeah. Uh, we have one new, I almost said Google review, but that is the wrong review. That's work. We have a new iTunes, uh, Apple podcast, whatever you want to call it, review from Campbell. She just said, this is the best review I've ever gotten, guys. It just says, epic bra moment. I love it. Thank you, Campbell. Appreciate it. One other note, we'll work this into the end of the show notes from now on, but we now have a Facebook group. You can find it. There's a link in our Instagram bio. You can find it on Facebook under She Will Rock You Podcast Fam. Mm-hmm. They are small but mighty right now, but we're hoping that it gets But gets very interactive. A yeah. lot of engagement. We have some fun over there. We are starting, um, you can find it on our Spotify a Music Monday playlist where... Everyone in the group can contribute a song each Monday to add to this mega long playlist that we're starting. We'll probably start a new one in January and like keep that going so that way it's by year. But uh, 
you know, kind of introduce each other to some new music that you wouldn't otherwise listen to. And yeah. I found some cool songs already just in like three weeks of doing it. Yeah. So. No, it's definitely worth checking out. Come join us. Don't worry. I'll put some weird shit on eventually. But, you know. <laughs> just poppy screaming music. <laughs> Scream. Dude, I have some selections that I have planned, but I'm like, when do I want to pull the weird card? <laughs> when do I want to pull it? I'm not sure yet. We'll I see. love that you have this thought out because every Sunday I'm like, uh, what song do I want to put in Sur- there this week? <laughs> Surprisingly, I have this thought out. But when it comes to choosing an artist, it's like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> let me let me consult the list. Okay. Who are we talking about today? So Leah, we joked the other day that every artist we personally cover become our tra- trash children. Trash children. And for me, and I'm sure for you, there are a few of my children that ascend to the category of, holy shit, I was sleeping on this artist for too long. Yes. And yes, they become my favorites. <laughs> They're all your favorites. Uh, all children are your quote, quote, favorites. I mean, but there is favorites. The current category includes Prince and Bing Crosby. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you listen to my Bing Crosby mm-hmm. episode that we did for Christmas, it's well, the January, season to go back and listen to that. Yeah. You can see how we really feel about it. We got a very nice, nice review. Please do not leave us a review on that episode specifically. <laughs> But right now, there's only Prince there. But I'm here to tell you today, there is another. There is another. (laughs) And her name is Tina Turner. Like, I'm slightly ashamed I did not grow up under her goddess influence. But I'm here today, and that's what matters. So, let's get into it. All I can tell you is that they recently made a musical out of her life. They did. That's all I can tell you. And I'm glad you said that because I realized I forgot to leave that out of my legacy section. So, yes. Yeah, you're welcome. Y- you got a little sneak peek of where we're going. I think they were at the Thanksgiving Day Parade last year. They did. I was watching a clip of it. And then they were like in England for most of it. And and then COVID and happened. Because it opened in England first, I think. And yeah. then it went to. Which is interesting. But yeah. Anyway. Well, I'll tell. I have my theory as to why. So. Anna May Bullock was born November 29th, 1939 in Brownsville, Tennessee, but shortly her family moved to Nutbush or maybe they're from Nutbush and she was just born in Brownsville. (laughs) Two fun facts about that. Kind of personal. One, we share a middle name, May. Yes. She lived in Nutbush and I lived in Pinebush. Oh yeah. And when I did this research, it kind of freaked me out a smidge. That (laughs) is weird. It kind of freaked me out. But anyway, so her father was an overseer on a farm. He also, um, Anna also recollects that her and her family would pick cotton there on the farm, which brings me to my first rant of the episode. It just seems really fucked up that that was still happening in 1940. Yeah. Like, I think like, it's just, I was like reading that. I'm like, wait, what year is this? And it still was fucking happening. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Anyway, moving on. When she was young, her and her two older sisters were separated and Anna went to live with her strict Baptist grandparents, beginning of all great legend stories. I'm going to bet $6. I don't know why I said 6 that <laughs> she started singing in the church choir. Oh, 100%. It's not <laughs> my notes, but go ahead and just tick it. It's, it's correct. 
I'm assuming her sisters went to live with their parents because her parents during World War II moved to Knoxville to work. Probably in a factory. Yeah, in a factory of some sort. But two years later, the family reunites. Happy times again. Growing up, Anna was a self-titled tomboy who joined both the basketball team and the cheerleading squad. Good for her. Love that. Love that. I think it's also kind of like foreshadowing who she would be later on in a way. When she was 11, her mother left and Tina in an interview said she didn't really ever feel like her mom really loved her. That's sad. Because when she got pregnant with her, her father, like she was planning on leaving her father because he was abusive. But she had to stay for the baby. But she's, well, she stayed for the baby, but Tina kind of always makes peace with it. Like one of the things you'll learn is this woman just like forgives, puts up healthy walls and then just doesn't regret anything. Like it's, it's so rare. It's almost like a breath of fresh air because I feel like you don't see that very Mm -hmm. often. Um, But anyway, she like kind of just said like, oh, it's just children having children. Like she understood Mm -hmm. why. And that's very hard to do when you're, I mean, I guess it was a later reflection, but still. Yeah. Having that insight. One thing that's also not in my notes that she mentioned about her mother is even though she was an abuse victim, her mother always fought back. And Tina always looked to that strength of like, even though when he would like come to, you know, hit her she was grabbing like a stick to hit back good for her and yeah so she kind of gets her fight from her mom when she was a teenager her half sister and two cousins died in a car crash which really sucks and then after her grandma died when she was 16 she goes and lives with her mother in st louis so it's kind of she honestly like for her early life it's pretty rocky like it's yeah a lot of moving back and forth family being separated then you're losing a family member or two and then in her like high school year she goes and joins her mom in st louis yeah so now we move on to the tale how does anime bullock become the queen of rock and roll known as tina turner yeah so it starts off when miss young bullock and her sister start touring different nightclubs in st louis at one night she lays her eyes on a mr ike turner the front man of a very popular group in St. Louis called King of Rhythm. And when she first sees him, she thinks he is the ugliest thing <laughs> that she has ever laid her eyes on. I love that. But then he starts to play and she's like stooped into like a trance. Not so ugly now, huh? <laughs> no, he's probably still ugly. <laughs> By the way, she just like has to be a part of this group though so after seeing the show she like asks if she can sing with him sometime he's like yeah sure i'll give you a call never does typical douche move. typical man but tina or miss bullock one of the things i love about her the most is she gets what she wants and this is where you really see it because during the intermission of king's performances she basically just like goes up and takes the mic like grabs it from the drummer. Now, to be fair, the I'm drummer in the band now. Sorry, the drummer was dating her sister, but so she like kind of just grabs Mike, and starts singing. Good for her. And now Ike is interested, and he's like, "Hey, you got a few more songs you can sing?" She's like, "Hell yeah, I do." And after those songs, Ike makes her a part of the band. 
And she becomes like a front woman for it. Sometimes you just got to jump up on stage and sing with the band to make yourself known. <laughs> go do it. Go try it. You just got to go do it. Try it out there, guys. Let us know how it works. Try it with the struts. Let's see what happens. Just kidding. I, I think Luke would appreciate it. I feel like... The thought. They might appreciate it. The gall of it. But they probably have heavy security, so don't do that. Yeah, I don't want to get thrown out. Yeah. So during that season of her life, and it is a pretty big season, like it's like a decade and a half. Ike starts teaching her vocal control, emphasis on control, and doing it his, his way. way. Hmm. And the song that first got Tina on the map, or Anna, was A Fool in Love, which she wrote um, in 1960, originally for another artist named Art Lasseter. However, he decided not to show up that day, so Ike suggested Anna sing it. With the intention of like treating it like a demo track to shop to record labels and just scrubbing her vocals out later on and replacing them. Rude. Yeah. Hello, the rude. Um, however, when it made it, when the record made it, the demo track made it all the way to Sue Records in New York, the record producer was like, nah, we're keeping her. It was pretty adamant about it. Good for him. $20,000 adamant to be precise. Good for him. So Anna stayed on the record. <laughs> I forgot about this. Fun fact that record exec described Tina's voice as, quote, Tina sounded like screaming dirt. It was a funky sound. Screaming dirt? Screaming dirt. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> when they, when the first press of the record was delivered to Anna, she was taken aback when it said, A Fool in Love by Ike and Tina Turner. He just renamed her? Pretty much. So Rude. here was his plan. This is so shitty of a person to do. I don't like Ike. We're just going to get that out of the way. Ike, You'll see I why. I figured from the beginning we weren't going to like Ike. Yeah. Um, Ike's plan was to rename her Tina. Like Sheena, Queen of the Jungle was his inspiration. He also trademarked his last name. Ew. So that if she ever left, he could find himself another Tina Turner. Ew. So it was basically like owning her that's i don't like that no so back so that song a fool in love hit number two on the hot r&b sides and number 27 on billboard 100 that song created pretty much a lot of media buzz and movement for the duo so ike decides to ride that wave and he does that by creating the ike and tina review which features ike and tina the King of Rhythm as their backup band and a group called the Ikeettes. That does not flow. I know. It's so terrible. That's terrible. But I don't know. I hope you can see the narcissism in this man. Ike. <laughs> like this it's is the Ike show. The Ike show. Cause this, you can tell this dude wants to be famous. Uh, right? Obviously. This dude wants to be famous so bad. And he knows, we all know the secret is Tina. Yes. Right? It's not but Ike. He's, he's going to put his damn name on anything that he can. Anyway. Um, they start a nationwide tour with 90, 90 straight days of touring. Not healthy, in case no. you're wondering. And they are a hot item, too. I mean, while they're on the Chitlin circuit, 
Hey. Hey. The group was considered one of the most hottest, most durable, and potentially most explosive of all R&B ensembles. They were so popular. By the way, I hate to say this next sentence. Rant number two. Um, that they were playing desegregated crowds. I hate that that's a measure of success. Yeah. I hate it. We saw it with Little we're Richard, We're supposed too. to be, like, impressed. Like, oh, wow. And it's like... It's like, no, that shouldn't have been the fucking case. Yep. Anyway, those things like just get under my skin a lot. We saw that with little Richard. too. Yeah. So let's briefly switch over to talk about Tina's relationship with Ike, because I'm sure you can <laughs> guess where this is heading. We're all wondering. So in her senior year, she's in St. Louis. Like I mentioned before, her sister is dating the drummer of King's Rhythm and she is dating the saxophonist Raymond Hill. And she becomes pregnant and they break, break up before the son is born. And I'm not entirely sure how to describe this next part. So I'm just going to quote it from Wiki as I do. Um, their relationship ended after Hill broke his ankle during a wrestling match with Kings of Hill. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kings of Hill. King of uh, Hill. King of Hill. <laughs> Kings of Rhythm singer Carlson Oliver. He'll return to his hometown in Clarksdale before their son Craig was born in August 1958. So he just quit because he broke his ankle being a dumbass? And left. Okay. And then she's left to raise her kid. Whatever. He's done and gone. And in around 1960, she has an affair with Ike, who has a common and common law wife. And their relationship kicked off after Tina ran into Ike's room after another band member was trying to have sex with her. These band members need to calm down. Yeah. Y'all need to chill. And then they had a child shortly after and got married. Jeez. Tina also adopted the other two sons as well. Oh. We'll come back to the relationship in a bit. Because while they're doing the Ike and Tina review, uh, they were doing a show on the Sunset Strip where they meet Phil Spector. Have we talked about him yet? The name sounds familiar. Okay. We will probably touch on him later. Because he's pretty, like, he's a pretty big producer during this era, mm -hmm. especially in rock music. But spoiler alert, he murdered someone and is now in jail at 80 years old. Wait, he's still in jail? He's still in jail. Well, he got finally convicted. So it happened in 03. And then he got convicted in 09. Murder episode. <laughs> <laughs> that would, actually, we should, that would be fun. Doing a bunch of murder Next Halloween. Next Halloween. Okay, we're going to pin that. He is so impressed with them that he invites them to be a part of the concert film called The Big TNT Show. It's got a star-studded list for 1965, such as Ray Charles, The Ronettes, Joan Baez, and The Birds. You can watch the performance on YouTube. They are like second to last act. And they just like blow the roof off the damn thing. Good for that. Like Tina is the main singer for that performance. And she has, and always has so much oomph to her voice. Mm -hmm. Um, her and the Ikeettes also have so much energy dancing. Like, holy shit. Like, the dance moves. I know it's like 1960s. Yeah. But there's like such a momentum in how they do it. Like, have you ever seen like hairspray dancing? Yeah. And it's cute. This is like bitches move. Off the floor. I'm off trying the to, floor. I'm trying to think. Tina is here and the iCats are here and they just fucking steal the show. I'm trying to think of like an equivalent, but I can't think of an equivalent. So. Yeah. So. And, but I mean, she's always been known for dancing, but like there, 
just watching her in like the Ike and Tina days was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like she's so good. But what's also interesting about her dancing. So like during that time, you know how everyone wanted to be that top female singer. There was like, you know, in this subtle, like quiet competition, a lot of the girls were kind of afraid to compete with Tina because she could both sing and dance. Yeah. She's a pretty like high energy dancing and like so much so like I get out of breath just watching for her, you know, like for her, I get out of breath just watching her. Um, after this performance, Phil wants to produce a record with her and Ike. They break their contract with like some other record company. Um, and they record river deep mountain high. Hey, for the next decade, the duo are just like kicking ass in the music world. I mean, they're just killing it. They're touring the UK and US opening for acts such as the Rolling Stones. They also are featured on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, where Tina was the first female and woman of color to be featured on the cover. Good for her. It's awesome. Also, during this time, Tina was... <laughs> I don't know how I didn't think about this in my Who, Who coverage, but... Tina was in the Who's Tommy Rock Opera. That's cool. And I still I've, need to watch that. Honestly, I have no clue. I didn't realize that until now. Yeah, I need to watch that. Well, I'll give you a little taste of it. Basically, she like turns into this aluminum tin woman style sex robot. This is before or after Pinball Wizard. <laughs> this is, uh, I think, after Pinball Wizard. <laughs> so there you go. It's a wild ride. Yeah. Um, but you can learn more about the movie and the Who in our Who episode. Yes. So let's jump back to the year. We're going to jump over. Sorry. Let's jump over to the year 1976. Ike is there looming in the background as all Ikes do. And all the Ike cats are there too. It's great. (laughs) So remember when I said I don't like Ike? Here's why. First off, he has a serious cocaine addiction. Not one of my reasons because I think it just sucks when someone's addicted to something. But... It's not helping his case. But it's a setup for how it let hit, let it uncheck him. Like, it just took him away and uh-huh. made him into a bad person. So, he is known for abusing Tina, intimidating her, making her fear him. That's the part I do not like. And Tina, in interviews, has alluded it to being hell and, like, slavery. Ooh. Yeah. That's not a good... Well, I mean, think about it. He owns her in a way. Yeah, he did. By trademarking his name. He named her. He was... It's a very cunning, terrible move. Yeah. I, I can't think of a, a better word to describe it, but it's, it sucks. But to give you an example of how bad this was, in an interview with Oprah, she tells a story, and just as a caution, this may be disturbing to some viewers. Your discretion is yeah. advised. Um, the first time Ike hit her, she was trying to find out if he was like controlling or abusive, like looking for those red flags from mm-hmm. other women. Cause he like would sleep with so many women and he immediately started gaslighting her, claiming, what are you trying to do to me? Like trying to turn on her. And then he hit her repeatedly with a wooden shoe stretcher Ooh. and then ended by saying, get in bed so that he can have sex with her. No. Like, this is power move after power move after power move. Mm -hmm. And there even was a movie about Tina from 1993. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but 
Tina said like the abuse in that film was actually tamed to what she experienced. I mean, to this day, whenever Ike is brought up, this is woman is strong. Number one, this is one of the strongest women Mm -hmm. in the game, both personally, career wise. Like she is just a beast. Mm -hmm. But the fact that like when Ike is brought up, you can just see that pain still there. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has moved on, but you can see that she had to go through that, that abuse as Mm -hmm. such a, you know, you're, she was 20, 20 and thirties. She's so young. So when I went on his wiki, wiki page, he never like really fully apologized for it. Of course he didn't. Like he, he wrote a letter. He said he wrote a letter in 06 that, apologizing but he never sent it and then when he was on Roseanne Barr's show she like urged him to apologize and he pretty much said no fuck him like in a subtle way whatever yeah fuck him um so whatever anyway after an altercation in a car on the way to their hotel Tina flees from Mike and doesn't return and she has 36 cents in her pocket and a credit card that's not a lot of sense that's not a lot of sense it's not getting you very far no it's not their divorce was finalized in 1975 with the children two cars and the stage name granted to tina which i love because the whole reason he copyrighted that name trademarked it so So that she can keep it yeah but she took it from him good for that judge whoever decided that i love that but where does this leave tina because when this is happening she's almost 40 yeah like and she has two decades in the industry and what also irks me ran number three and i can't really confirm this but you kind of know it just like reading the doing the research you can Mm -hmm. it's kind of alluded to but a lot of the music world favored ike and turned their back on her the real talent leaving her to feed her and her children at one point on food stamps while she finds gigs at small hotels and casinos in order to pay off debts dang because i think like right after i may not be correct on this but right after the divorce like they were also getting sued because they missed the show because I had to be an idiot and beat her up. Um, and there were some other engagements. So like mm-hmm. they were both getting sued. So you would think one would think her career's over. Mm-hmm. This is just how it ends. But this woman keeps pressing on. She said, nah, let's do a quick recap of this woman's life. She is a fighter that she gets from her mom. She takes what she wants. She takes the, she takes the mic and sings. Mm-hmm. You think she's going to let this nah. bring her down? No. So near the end of her smaller shows at a hotel, she signs with Capitol Records, pretty big uh, record company. Good one. And they start working on the album Private Dancer. And I don't have to tell you, that's a smash hit. I mean, it's got Private Dancer on it. It's got What's Love Got to Do With It. It's got Better Be Good to Me. And this album is also a complete opposite direction of how Ike does music and his sound. Good. This is rock and pop, like the perfect blend of pop and rock. Mm -hmm. And 
in my opinion, I, I forgot I wrote this, in my opinion, is perfect for her screaming dirt voice. The screaming dirt. <laughs> the album goes like five times platinum. It stayed number three on the Billboard 200 for 10 consecutive weeks. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a long, long time. It is also in the Library of Congress preservation list. We've talked about it a couple times. Good for them. For being culturally, historically, and aesthetically important. The album also won three Grammys. Her first Grammy at age 45. I love her. I love her. I love her <laughs> so much. And this album just propels her into superstardom. So like when she was in Ike and Tina Review. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were big. Medium success, I would say. Like based off everything. Like, yeah, they're getting in Rolling Stone. They are pretty big. Like Janet, they're in the crew with Janis Joplin and all them, right? Yeah. But this woman is like shot into like this is now international. Superstar. Yeah. International superstardom. Especially in Europe. In fact, in a Larry King interview from 1997, she states that she is like Madonna in the States, but in Europe, she's even bigger. She's the Madonna. She's more than Madonna. She is Madonna 2.0. And those are strong words for the 90s. Yeah. Very strong words. So I'm not going to talk too much about her solo career, surprisingly, than I normally would because it's really just a list of here's an album she did. Here's a tour she did. Here's an album yep. she did. Here's a tour she did. And you can just assume that all of them are just kicking ass. <laughs> okay. This woman has been kicking ass for a long time. But to me, that's, you know, her music is fantastic, but that's not where the story is. It's how she overcame her life and how that pours into the lyrics and the music and the energy on stage. Um, so you can just go listen to yourself, you know, pull up, go on Spotify, click the This Is Tina playlist. That's all you need. She also, one thing I am going to point out, her song Simply the Best. If you could please go and watch Shit's Creek <laughs> um, scene on YouTube where David sings at the Patrick. It's one of my all-time favorite scenes in TV. It is adorable. Um, I want to now shift to later in life. We're just going to do a drive-by, so to speak. In 1986, she meets an important person in her life, record producer Erwin Bach. When they meet, she is 46. He is 30. But hey, love is love. Um, they would go on to be together for 23 years. They still yeah. are together. So that's probably outdated. And they get married in 2013. Um, we'll talk more about them later. But it's also so refreshing to see someone who's really good to her. Like yeah. she is in love with she this man. Him. Absolutely in love. And he's in love with her. So we're happy. In 1991, she and Ike were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But she did not attend. Good. Because Ike was probably there. And Ike did not attend. Uh, you know why? He's in jail. For wait. cocaine possession. Good. Yeah. So Phil Spector accepted it on their behalf. Who is also in jail. Who's also <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story is... <laughs> Tina is the best out of the three. Yeah. Now, Ike did pass away from a cocaine overdose in 2007. Was yeah. he still in prison? Oh, uh, I think he was out by then, but still sad demise. Don't well, do drugs. Don't do drugs. But this is the genius. When asked for a comment, because she ain't showing up to the funeral, right? No. Nah. No, nah, no need to. Her publicist said, 
Tina hasn't had any contact with Ike in more than 30 years. No further comment will be made. Yeah. She just thought it was like, no, I'm not going to say anything. She doesn't need to comment on him. So you may, I mean, people may think that's a little harsh, but dude, look what he fucking did. Nah. And she did later in life, like I said, kind of forgave him in her own way, personally. But she felt absolutely no need. And he never apologized. Absolutely no need. So... And she doesn't need it. You you don't need people like that no. in your life. You can forgive them and just be like, you're going to keep the hell away from me too. Yep. Well, I forgive don't you in my own anymore. circle. Yeah. Um, in 2004, she was recognized by Kennedy Center Honors, where they do it at the... Yeah. Yeah. Really big that deal. That fancy gala. Mm-hmm. In 2008, and this is the most important achievement of all, she performed with Beyonce at the Grammys. Which that is, is a pair. Yeah. And then... I thought you were going to say she's going to be on Sesame Street. No. I count that as the <laughs> highest honor. But that I guess is true. that's okay, too. That is true. Well, Beyonce, like Tina Turner, is one of her biggest inspirations. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was watching Tina Turner's dance moves, even stuff from like the 60s and 70s, and I'm like, I've seen Beyonce do that on stage. Like, I can see her channeling yeah. Tina. Then we arrive to the year 2009. After decades of world tours, nearly 200 million album sales, and just countless days performing, she decided it's time to hang up her Louis Vuitton red sole heels because literally she danced in those. Like it's that kind sounds of, painful. It, yeah, it's insane. And she concludes her world, her last world tour in England, and she goes to retire in Switzerland. Okay. So, she is a Switzerland citizen. She sold her home in America, gave up her citizenship, because you can't have both Swiss and U.S. She now owns a Swiss chateau that has a sign that says, do not ring the doorbell before noon. Mood. And why did she do this? Well, like I mentioned before, her biggest fans are in Europe. Um, despite how big she is in America... She's way bigger in Europe. And I think that's also why England opened up first. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a bigger audience. Also, her husband is German. So it kind of makes sense. Like, everyone, everything she loves is there. Might as well. Yeah. And I mean, she did make the right move. Absolutely. CC 2020 America. Google's as we wait how to get swedish membership <laughs> or swiss, swiss. I, I literally woke up this morning i'm not even kidding you this is a thought that came in my head thinking about this episode thinking about the election i'm like man tina's probably not even thinking about america right now she's just nah. looking and breathe just relaxing on her louis vuitton couch she's drinking just some wine man there's probably snow on the ground in switzerland already i know um what was i gonna say so about her retirement, though, she said in an interview with Oprah recorded in 2013, like right after she got married, she said she has been looking forward to retirement for years. And what many do not know, she didn't really like it's a lot of energy to dance and sing like she does. Yeah. Days on end, years on end, decades on end. And she waited until she had enough money where she did not need to worry about anything. That was the goal. Get to a point where you assess enough money. You just don't have to yeah. worry. 
And when she got to that point, she said, all right, I'm done. And she also says the best thing is not having anything to do. And she is still there, 80 years old, enjoying her damn life that she deserves. So while she rests in Switzerland, let's talk about her legacy. She is regarded as the first African-American female rock star and is the queen of rock and roll. She is the embodiment of rock and roll. She has that attitude of get out of my way. I'm going to do what I want while still laughing while she does it. But it's not just about the singing and dancing that she did. Well, fantastic. It's also about how she empowered her fans, particularly women who realize they can do anything. In an interview, once again, that same interview with Oprah, she says she used to receive letter after letter from fans who were listening to her music and felt like they could do whatever their heart's desire was. She was such an inspiration then, and I hope she can still be an inspiration today. But I want to end this episode because this is the last segment. It's a little shorter episode, but that's fine. We got lots of content coming out. (laughs) So I don't feel as bad. Um, I want to end this episode with a song that I've purposely not mentioned until now. So there is this cover of a song her and Ike used to do called Proud Mary, Mm. originally written by Creedence Clearwater Revival. And if you know Creedence Clearwater Revival, I mean, on the Bayou Boys, Mm -hmm. Bluegrass Rock. Good stuff. I love Creedence Clearwater, but, you know, it's got, you know, it's you you know the vibe, you know the vibe. So their rendition of the song has always been one of the staples of her shows. I mean, she pretty much like. Yes, it was Ike and Tina, but it is a Tina Turner song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just staple of her show. And from what I have researched, it always changed over time. It just seems like the older she got, the more energy she put behind the song. Mm-hmm. And she always starts it off the same way. She talks to the audience maybe two minutes or so. And she starts by saying something along the lines of, how about something nice and easy? But that's the thing. I can't completely do anything nice and easy. I always do something nice and rough. (laughs) And of course I'm rough. It's really effective as a, as a rock opening. Uh But you know, like I said, has a vibe. Credence kind of keeps it on schedule, but this song just turns into an explosion of sound. So she starts off nice and easy. And then all of a sudden the drums kick in and the horns kick in and it is just a rock song and it's the best version of the song in my opinion but I want to talk about the lyrics behind the song and this is the reason I left at the bottom because I feel like the lyrics encapsulate her life journey and I'm going to read the quote straight from Wikipedia proud Mary singer a low-wage earner leaves what she considers a good job and which she might define as steady work even though for long hours under a dictatorial boss, she decides to follow her impulse and imagination and hitch a ride on the riverboat queen, bidding farewell to the city. Only when the boat pulls out does she see the good side of the city, which for them is one in the distance, far removed from her life. Down by the river and on the boat, the singer finds protection from the man and salvation from her working class pains in the nurturing spirit and generosity of simple people who are happy to give, even if you have no money, the river and Fogarty and traditionally in literature and song is holding biblical and epical implications 
Indeed, the river Proud Mary offers not only escape, but also a rebirth. Hmm. It just sounds like Tina. Yep. And everything she had to go through. It definitely fits her more than Credence Clearwater. Oh, 100%. As a bonus to give you guys another piece of homework, there is a clip of her performing this song in 1982. It is like my absolute favorite because her presence is so like enthralling to watch. And we'll link it in YouTube. But anyway, that's Tina Turner. It's Tina Turner. Short episode. Yeah. Well, we're not really drinking anything. No. But my husband brought Taco Bell. Yes, we are going to eat some Taco Bell and... Got myself a bean burrito, wisdom teeth friendly. Gotta love Taco Bell, even though they took our potato tacos. We're still here. Uh. Like the fools we are. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. We'd love it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If it's nice, we might even read it on the air. A special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You can also join us on our Facebook group, She Will Rock You Podcast Fam. You can follow us individually on Instagram at Beth Ann Tarpley or at LeahElizabeth.j. Do you have thoughts on Tina Turner? Let us know. You can email us at SheWillRockYouPodcast at gmail.com. And as always, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.